Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Trinity. Happy New Year. I hope you've enjoyed some good time with your families over the holidays. Man, 2020 has been an extraordinarily difficult year. I'm sure we are all so happy to be in 2021. We are looking forward to vaccinations, to uh, the economy recovering, to reopenings, regatherings. Uh, we're looking forward to restaurants and travel and having friends over for dinner. We're looking forward to being able to gather and worship and sing unmasked indoors. Like, man, there are so many things to be looking forward to. But today we are in the in-between. We still live under the threat and harm of COVID with all of its many effects. In fact, uh, no need to explain, things are about as bad as they've ever been, especially here in Southern California. So we struggle for today in the reality that life is still hard. We're just waiting for what is to come. And in some ways, I want to suggest that this is a, a great metaphor for us in our spiritual lives, that we have this future hope. But for today, we're, we're struggling. We're, we're not there yet. So what do we do while we struggle in this in-between season? What do we do during the hardships? What do we do when it's not just that things are hard, but that, that we've been wronged? That we've been sinned against. Well, this morning I want to take a look at Luke 18, uh, which I understand Eric preached uh, last August, and I'd like to build on some of the things that he said, especially as we consider this new year. Our passage tells the story of a powerless victim, this widow. Apparently she has suffered great injustice, and uh, there's no one to help her. So she goes to court, which was unusual because women were not to go to court. Men would go. Men would speak on behalf of women unless, of course, there was no man, uh, which is probably the situation here. She has no one to advocate for her. She's a widow. She goes to court uh, where justice is to be protected, administered, exercised, Except here, this judge, it says, neither feared God nor respected man. He didn't care about justice, and he didn't care about his reputation. See, in a shame-honor culture, oftentimes people would do things to at least look respectable, right? They just, they just wanted to save face. But this guy, he just didn't care. The implication here is that 
this judge was probably corrupt, that he would have been maybe persuaded with a, a little bribe, perhaps. But the widow, presumably she had no money with which to bribe him. She was poor and powerless. So what's she to do? What can this widow do? What, what are her options? Where can she go? She's, she's gone to, the, to, to court. She's in a desperate situation. And I think this is often how it is for the poor, the powerless, that they are easily taken advantage of because they don't have access to or the resources to pursue justice. And even when they do, sometimes the justice system, it isn't always so just. And yet, despite all of these things, the unjust judge gives in, not because he cares about justice, not because he cares about this lady, it's because he just doesn't want to be bothered anymore by her persistence, by being beaten down by her continual coming. The parable speaks to the power of persistence. It's so powerful that despite all of her disadvantages, this widow gets the justice she sought. And the implicit argument of the parable is, how much more will God hear the prayers of his people? If an unjust judge faced with the persistent cries of a widow that he doesn't even care about, eventually responds and grant justice, how much more will a good, righteous, just God faced with the persistent cries of his beloved children, how will he not respond? and grant justice, and grant it quickly. See, if prayer, if persistence is effective with an unjust judge, how much more will it be effective with a just, loving, heavenly Father? The parable is trying to persuade us, trying to assure us that God hears our prayers. The point is pretty clear, that we should pray. Don't give up. And it says that right there in verse one, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So we're to be persistent in our prayers, to not give up, to keep on praying. It's similar to a parable in Luke 11, where Jesus tells about a guy who in the middle of the night goes to his neighbor because a guest has arrived and he needs to serve food. He doesn't have the food with which to show proper hospitality. He goes to the neighbor the neighbor's in bed with his family, doesn't want to get out of bed, but the guy persists and eventually he will get out of bed and give the neighbor what he wants, not because he cares about the neighbor, not because of the relationship, not because of anything, except that he just wants him to stop. It's because of this guy's persistence. And so Jesus taught in Luke 11 that we're to ask, seek, knock. We're to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. You know, maybe you've had some prayers that have felt really futile. Maybe you've been praying for victory over a sin or for, or for healing. Or maybe there's this dream that you've been praying for that you really want to come true or, or for loved ones. Or you've been praying for the salvation of loved ones. And you've been praying for years, many years perhaps, we are encouraged to not lose heart. Don't give up. Keep 
praying because God hears us. It is good to be persistent in our prayers, but I want to suggest that I think there's something more going on in this parable, that there, there, there's something more specific that Jesus is referring to. I want you to notice what is being given. Notice verse 7, will not God give justice to his elect? Verse 8, he will give justice to them speedily. God will grant justice. See, the picture here is that to a people who have been treated unjustly, who have been oppressed and persecuted, that God will hear their cries and grant them deliverance. Also notice that this parable here in Luke 18 immediately follows a section at the end of Luke 17 where Jesus talks about his second coming and how no one knows when that's going to be. It's going to be a surprise, completely unexpected. And then at the end of this parable, verse 8, we read, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? See, this, this parable is in the context of Jesus' second coming. And I think these two things are woven together. That God will grant justice. God will vindicate and deliver his people at Jesus' return. And when Jesus comes back, he will make all things right. He will make all things new. He will wipe every tear. He will establish perfect righteousness and justice and peace, shalom. That the prayer for justice and deliverance is intrinsically tied to Jesus' return. The parable is teaching us to pray persistently for Jesus' return. In fact, that's how Jesus taught us to pray. Is it not our Father who art in heaven? Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Jesus gave many teachings and parables telling us to seek and to be ready for his return. The parable of the ten virgins teaches us not just to be prepared for his return, but to be prepared to stay prepared for a long time. Paul in Philippians 3 talks about how our citizenship is in heaven and we await a savior. In Romans 8, he, he looks forward to his future glory that far outweighs all of our present suffering. Second Peter talks about how there will be scoffers saying, where is his return? Things continue as they've always been. And we are warned against doubting Jesus's return. The New Testament ends with Jesus saying, surely I am coming soon. And John responds, yes, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. One scholar estimated that in the Old Testament there are over 1,800 references to Jesus' second coming. In the New Testament, there are over 300 references, making it one out of every 30 verses. He says that for every prophecy in the Bible concerning Jesus' first coming, there are eight, eight times as many prophecies concerning Jesus' second coming. There is a strong future orientation in the Bible. I wonder if Christians, at other times and other places perhaps, Christians who've suffered, who've been oppressed and persecuted, if they don't more 
intuitively have this greater prayer and greater hope in Jesus's return because they're not expecting life here to work out. They, 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 life has been too hard. They're not putting their hope here. They are putting their hope. They are longing for Jesus's return. That we have this greater heavenly citizenship. We have a secure destiny. We have a true home. I think that's an adjustment for us. I think for us, we expect too much from this world and not enough from the world to come. And we need to shift our focus, shift our hope. What is the parable teaching us? That we're to pray, that we're to pray persistently, that we're to pray persistently for Jesus's return. It says crying out day and night. William Taylor, a Scottish preacher in the 19th century, uh, when preaching a sermon on this text, he wrote, we should not allow any influence, however depressing, or any delay, however long, to keep us from continuing to pray for the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we are taught. Now, I have to confess, this isn't something that I pray for, let alone pray persistently for, at least not very much. Honestly, I don't even I don't think about it that until I have to prepare a sermon on, on it, then I'll think about it a lot. But the truth of the matter is I don't think that much about Jesus's return. But we are being told to prepare for, to long for, to pray for Jesus's return, because that's when we will experience true justice, true deliverance, true healing, true peace. That's when we'll be home, a home that he's been preparing for us, that we might be with him till the end of time that we are to join in the prayer of Revelation that John prayed, come Lord Jesus. Oh, come, come Lord Jesus. It's been a really difficult 2020. And what are we to do? What do we do in all the brokenness with the coronavirus, race, politics, and so many other struggles that we might be having at a more personal level? And what are we to do when, more pointedly, we suffer for our Christian faith? What are we to do? We are to put our hope in Jesus's return. And hope, that kind of hope, can be powerful. Even now, as, uh, as, I, as we consider that there is light at the end of the coronavirus tunnel, right? That the vaccine may be coming out to all of us soon, maybe in the coming months. Like that gives us hope that maybe 2021 is going to be a lot better than 2020, right? That encourages us. I mean, right now, nothing's changed. Our lives are still the same. And yet knowing that that's that, that light at the end of the tunnel, that encourages us, that strengthens us. How much more the Christian who's clinging to this greater salvation, greater than any vaccine, 
right? This greater redemption, this greater hope. How much more it would encourage us. See, we look forward to 2021. I look forward to 2021. But that is too small. We have so much more to look forward to. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should be passive or disengaged or defeated or give up on this present world. I think it's good and right for us to try to bring healing. I think it's good and right of us to use our resources and influences for good here and now. And I think these go together. Having this future hope, it empowers us. It strengthens us while we live in this present world. It it can change how we live. You see, if this world is all we have, then every, every wrong, every injustice, it feels like such a loss, right? We have to, we have to hold all of this tightly. <laughs> if, you're not a, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you have to take every threat, every loss, you have to take it seriously because this is all you in Ecclesiastes, a whole other sermon, um, it teaches that all of this stuff that we hold so tightly to, all of this is actually vanity, vapor, meaningless. And the wisdom of Ecclesiastes is teaching us to, to, to recognize the meaninglessness of all of this, to not ask this stuff to be more than it is. It's just vapor. But for the Christian, for the believer who has this future hope, the wrongs of suffering, it it, it still hurts. But we are not as crippled. We are not destroyed. The losses are not so deeply damaging. Because we can loosen our grip on these things because we can cling more tightly to the secure and glorious tomorrow that we are promised. We can expect less from this world and expect more from the world to come. And that helps us in our struggles, right? It helps us persevere. It gives us strength to press on and to engage the world that we're in. C.S. Lewis wrote, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. A missionary was once asked, What will Jesus say when he shouts? In 1 Thessalonians, it says Jesus will descend with a loud command. What's he going to say, missionary? And the missionary was a little bit puzzled. You know, he was going to give this vague non-answer. You know, scripture doesn't say. We don't really know. But as, as he paused, he remembered that morning that he had a conversation with this war refugee who had been captured by soldiers who told him how they were going to torture him and kill him. 
Somehow he narrowly escaped, found his family, and fled. But along the way, he lost two of his kids. The missionary also thought about the beggars that he saw every morning, the vacant looks he saw in their eyes, and how they had been robbed of their humanity. And as the missionary thought about the cruelty of war and the destruction of poverty, he said, enough, enough. Jesus is going to shout, enough, enough suffering, enough starvation, enough terror and indignity and hopelessness, enough sickness and disease and death, enough, no more. One day Jesus will wait no longer. He will come and he will make all things right. I remember for myself uh, a particularly difficult, dark season. I happened to be reading Revelation. And as I came to the end, I remember praying, yes, come, Lord Jesus, come. And praying that helped me redirect all the pain and the darkness that I was feeling, and it pointed it toward a longing for Jesus. It, I kept praying, Lord, come, come and stop this destruction and the mess. Come and, and bring healing. Come and make things right. Come and help me find my rest in you. Oh, please come. Please come. Well, I want to uh, look back at our passage and consider another question. That is, what is the role of prayer? Is it because we pray that Jesus is going to return? And if persistence is the lesson here, is Jesus suggesting that if we don't pray persistently for his return, what, he, he's not going to come back? I mean, like, what's the connection here? How does, how does this work? Like the judge, God will hear the prayers, the persistent prayers of his people. But as we mentioned, there's a big difference. There's this how much more factor. Because God is not like an unjust judge, right? He is good and righteous and loving. Luke 11, Jesus says, Imperfect fathers know how to give good gifts to their children. Our Heavenly Father even more desires to give good gifts to His children. And we are not widows. We are adopted and beloved sons and daughters with privilege and direct access to our Heavenly Father. See, the parable is not suggesting that like a widow to an unjust judge, we have to pray like that because that is not our situation. We don't have to beg and badger and nag a reluctant, recalcitrant judge. No, our prayers will be answered because of God's goodness, not because 
of our persistence. But if that's true, why is he teaching us to be persistent? Why is that this lesson? The context, you will remember, is in Jesus' second coming, and we don't know when that's going to be. It'll be unexpected. And the implication is, it, it may not be for a while. We don't know. There may be a delay. And we now know there is a delay. There's a very long delay. And during this prolonged delay, we suffer hardships, injustice, persecution. And we might get discouraged, but he's telling us we don't need to lose heart, to give up. We are to persistently pray. You see, Jesus is teaching us how to respond in this prolonged delay, this prolonged season of injustice and suffering. What are we to do in the in-between? We are to put our hope in Jesus's return. And in that sense, Jesus's teaching here is more to affect us than to affect God. He is helping us, teaching us, showing us how we are to cling to his promises. We are to long for his return. We are to believe that our good, loving, heavenly Father eagerly desires to give us good things, to bring healing and deliverance and justice for his children. He will come and he will make all things right. He will wipe away every tear and he will welcome us home and he will consummate his victory and we are to believe it. We are to long for it. We are to pray for this. See, he's teaching us how to handle the prolonged delay, life in the in-between. That's why at the end of the parable, he says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You see, persistent prayer is an expression of faith, saying that we believe, we long for all that Jesus will bring to us one day. And let me add, I think persistent prayer nurtures that faith. It redirects our hearts. It helps us turn away from all the pain and the temptations of this world and helps us to look toward our future and glorious home. And that gives us strength to endure the hardships of our day. It gives us resources to engage the challenges of our present world. Well, this is a parable that's not just to be analyzed and discussed. It's a parable to be applied, meaning let's pray. I want to invite you to consider some of the struggles that you've been facing, the external and internal hardships. Consider some of the stresses that you bear, some of the fears that threaten, some of the desires that battle in your heart. Consider some of the brokenness of our world, some of the injustices that you see, the, the suffering and hardships that this pandemic has brought. And also consider some of your costs of following Jesus, 
maybe even some of the injustices you've suffered for his sake. With all these things we pray. Oh Lord. Lord, you see. You care. You're a good and loving Father. And as you taught us, Lord, now we pray, would you please come. Come, Lord Jesus. Come and bring deliverance and justice and healing and peace. Come and make all things new. Make all things right. Come and establish your perfect righteousness and justice and peace. Come and let us see your glory. Come and let us enjoy your, your unshielded, radiant, glorious presence. Come, Lord Jesus, and allow us to join the, the heavenly assembly of angels and saints from every tribe and nation gathered, crying out, worthy, Worthy is the Lamb to receive glory and honor and power forever and ever and ever. Yes, come, Lord Jesus. Come. It is in your name we pray. Amen.